0: I want to continue uh, this Sunday on our topic of the Holy Spirit, but before we do that, I just want to show an amazing testimony video about what the Holy Spirit has done in one person's life that sits here among you week after week. So go ahead, guys.
1: If I start at kind of the beginning, it's truly like a testimony of like how God draws uh, us to himself. Um, so 12, roughly 12 years ago or so, 14 years ago, um, we've, my wife and I felt the need to leave the church that we were at and truly it was like God's way of drawing Him, to, you know, me to himself. Because um, I remember then when we switched churches that first day in worship, I became emotional. I started crying and realized at 36, this had never happened before. And the funny thing is I didn't really understand what was happening or what it was. And it took me almost two years to figure out oh, this is the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a church where it was God the Father, Jesus the Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, it just wasn't talked about. Um, so it, I had no knowledge prior knowledge of it. So it was just like, I'm crying every Sunday. And I remember a pastor said one, one day, he said, some people's testimonies is that they come here and they cry every Sunday for two years, and that's just what God's doing in their life. And I was like, that would be me. So during COVID then, it was really difficult to worship, sadly, in the other church. I just didn't feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I really missed that. And so we went to second service then at Life Center. So I went to the other church for first service and came here for the 11 o'clock service. And I'll never forget, when I walked into the sanctuary, like immediately the Holy Spirit started speaking to me and said, well, you asked for an upgrade. And then he said, I had to take you from where you started to this other church and now to here because otherwise you wouldn't have understood it. It would have been too big of a jump for you to go from where you came from to this. And so, of course, I'm weeping during the entire worship service just because I had not been in worship like that in in months because of COVID. So for the first um, few months, he seemed to be calling me forward a lot and I seemed to be needing in that had that desperation to like meet with him. I remember one Sunday, I just felt like he truly said, you know, I have something up front for you. Like you need to come up front. And so I did. And as I was standing there waiting for like the ministry team to team to get around to me, a gentleman to my left, he dropped to his knees and he was laughing. He was just kind of laughing uncontrollably in the spirit. And I looked over and in that moment, the Holy Spirit said, I wanted you to see this. And then he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, now I'm weeping and that was literally all he wanted me to to know, all he took me up there for. And it changed me, you know, it really impacted me in that moment of just the joy of the Lord is my strength and I needed that, so it was a beautiful thing. In another time in worship, um, he took me back to a memory from almost 20 years ago. Uh, My wife and I had uh, lost twins um, in 2003, so it's almost 20 years now. So I kind of suffered for a lot of years just on my own with that. So in worship, he took me back to this hospital room where this happened. And it wasn't something I was thinking about. It wasn't something on my mind. It wasn't something that I was even conscious of. But suddenly, I'm there. You know, I'm in the room. And what was really great is that he didn't actually say anything. There was no words spoken. But I could just feel his presence. And just his presence in that room was enough. You know, it just like he understands, you know, there's compassion. And it was, I was like healed in that moment of just um, the trauma and the pain that I had gone through. Um, So it's just amazing what, um, how loving our father is and what he does for each of us.
0: Come on, so powerful. Mm. Brent's testimony reveals the power and the character of the Holy Spirit, it's him who comes to us, draws near to us, works in us, and changes us. Amen. I sent Brent this video yesterday, and he called me, and he started weeping, he said, man, today's actually the 20-year anniversary of that day in the hospital. But God is so faithful. He's healed me and my wife, isn't that amazing? God does the things. That we can't do. His story also carries with it the gift of faith that there is more. Come on, are you thirsty for more of Him this morning? Each one of us has a thirst for Him. David writes about this in Psalm 42. He says, As the deer pants, longing for the water brooks, my soul pants longingly for you, oh God. My soul, my inner self longs for you and is thirsty for you, oh God. And it's him, it's the Holy Spirit who comes to satisfy our hunger and thirst, amen. Sometimes we don't realize how thirsty we are. Thank God for the gift of desperation you rock bottom, when you're at the end of your rope and you're all out of options that came from yourself, you're like, God, I need you. It's in those moments, he is so faithful to always, always come and help us and set us free. It's why one of the most powerful prayers is just saying, God, help, you know, Matthew, verse 3 out of chapter 5 in the message, it says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope because when there's less of you, there's more of God and his role. One of my prayers lately is, God, keep me desperate. God, keep me thirsty. Keep me hungry. I believe the Holy Spirit not only has the ability to satisfy our hunger and thirst, but in his presence over and over again, we come to this realization, God, we need you. God, don't leave me the way I was. Keep changing me. Come on, has that happened to you? Like sometimes you're just going through your routine, like trying to squeeze your quiet time in before all the kids wake up and you're just doing your thing and this presence comes and you're like, oh, God, I was just trying to get through this, but thank you. I need you. I need you today. Maybe you walked in here this morning and all the hustle and bustle, just barely getting here. It's all good. It's all faith. You know, faith without works is dead. So even coming here, you know, is a leaning in, in the spirit, but God comes and you're like, oh, there you are, man. Thank you, God, for reminding me how much I need you. I think a key to staying hungry and thirsty is staying humble. Fortunately, we never graduate from this thing. This Philippians 2 thing of knowing God. Our humbleness is displayed by our willingness to keep seeking, to keep finding, to keep changing, to keep repenting. Wasn't that an awesome message that Randy preached last week? To keep pursuing, to keep coming to the source of life. Coming back to the understanding, crying out for a greater revelation of our need to simply know him, our great need for him and knowing him, in the same sermon in Matthew chapter five, verse six, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I was reading this verse two weeks ago, and I remember about 10 or 12 years ago, I used to travel with my father-in-law, did a little bit of worship, but my biggest role was being his assistant and travel with him all over the world. Actually, I wasn't even his assistant. I was like the assistant to his assistant, which was Paul Martini at the time, which is why we became such good friends. And uh, Johanna would come with us uh, a few times throughout those couple of years. And I remember like, for some reason, whenever Johanna came, we stayed in really nice hotels and the food was always like really amazing, and we always had this extra time, but when she wasn't there, it was like work, work, work. But I remember um, we had the opportunity to minister in, in Stockholm, Sweden, like, you know, suffering for Jesus in Stockholm. And I remember we stayed in this beautiful hotel, like it was the hotel of all hotels in Stockholm, right downtown, and every morning, I'm not a big breakfast eater, but I ate breakfast during our time there, because they they filled this whole floor, on the fourth floor, with so much food, and it was like really crazy, bizarre food, but it was so good. It was like raw fish, and there was like our charcuterie board as far as you could see. I love all that stuff, like all of it, and I remember just I was so happy, and my wife, she hated that because she is like full-blown American breakfast only. I want my French toast. I want my chocolate chip pancakes. I want my <laughs> eggs and bacon, and so finally, like the third day we were there, they had all these like professional chefs, and I remember she just walks up to the chef, and I'm like, oh, here we go, you know, and, uh, and she goes up to him, and said, look, look, man, I just, look, man, she said that, look, man, I just want some scrambled eggs on my plate. I just want some plain scrambled eggs on my plate. And this chef got so excited and he was like, oh, I make the best scrambled eggs in the entire world. You, you got to You'll love them. I promise you'll love them. And so he's listing all these ingredients he puts in the scrambled eggs, like chives and oysters and all these things. It's like amazing. I was like, wow, this sounds really good. But she was not having it. She's like, no, look, I want eggs, salt and pepper scrambled, and then just put it on my plate. He's like, oh, no, no, no. But you'll like my eggs. He kept saying this. And finally, my wife gets that look and she's like, "Look, buddy. I just want scrambled eggs on my plate the way I like them." And he's like, "Fine." And he's so angry. He like makes these scrambled eggs real quick and he just throws them on a plate and slides it to her and she was super happy. He was so angry. 2 weeks later, we're watching this like cooking show because that's what you do when you're married, you know. And uh, So we're watching this cooking show at home after our trip, and they're listing the top ten chefs in the whole world. And this same dude who made her scrambled eggs was number three in the whole world. (laughs) But isn't it like that with God? Like sometimes we meet with God, like, you know, Lord, I don't I know you got something great planned, but today I just want what I'm used to. I just want these crappy scrambled eggs, you know? The manna of yesterday to get me through today, but that doesn't work. Come on. Sometimes we just want the things that are familiar, the things that we like, but are you hungry and thirsty for more? Because he's always doing a new thing. He takes us from glory to glory, faith to faith. (laughs) Charles made this awesome, profound statement a few weeks ago. He He said, the Holy Spirit brings The kingdom of God. Romans 14, verse 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking what one likes. Maybe it's scrambled eggs for you. Maybe it's something else. But of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit is the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy. What's so powerful about this for us? No matter what, no matter how dark, no matter how chaotic, no matter how unmanageable our lives become, the Holy Spirit is still drawn to us, and when he comes, he brings the kingdom of life. Amen? The Holy Spirit comes and advances towards the darkness. Some would even say he's attracted to the darkest places, the most chaotic places, of our lives, and when He comes, He brings light. All of this, as Charles says, is abundant life, abundant life, the light life to live by. John one, one through five says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was." The life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Eugene Peterson writes The life light blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness couldn't put it out. This kingdom of God, this life light comes to us and swallows up the darkest places. Of our hearts and of our souls. John 3 talks about this when Jesus is telling Nicodemus, The light has come into the world. And we have a choice. We could shrink back into what's familiar, into the darkness. But what does he want us to do? In truth, step into the light, because when we step into the light, the darkest parts of us shine, reflect his light and become light themselves. Are you with me this morning? That's why it's so powerful when we allow God to light up the darkest places of our lives, because then they become light to other people and may struggle with the same thing. The most powerful part of your testimony is the things that God set you free from because they shine the brightest for others to see. Amen? Step into the light. So how do we access the kingdom of God? This kingdom that is now and not yet. Romans 15, the next chapter of Romans says this. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace in believing. Come on, say, in believing. in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The Amplified says this May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace in believing through the experience of your faith. Your faith. Your personal faith. Your personal faith journey with the Lord, your personal encounter with the Lord, your personal understanding of the reality of his love through the power of the Holy Spirit. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would abound and overflow with confidence in all his promises, all his promises. So how do we access this kingdom of God? It's faith. Faith is what I want to speak about this morning. This is a house of faith. What is faith? How do we get it? And where does it come from? What is faith? A.W. Tozer talks about how it's hard to define faith, kind of like how it's hard to define love, but rather God chooses to demonstrate his faithfulness to us and through us really a demonstration of God's faithfulness. And what does it look like when we have faith? Hebrews 10 and 11. Hebrews 10 is kind of like, I've heard it called like the hall of faith. It's like the demonstration of God's faithfulness and the people who had faith from generation to generation to generation. And it all culminates and lands on this verse in Hebrews 11 verse 1. It says this, and I love it out of the Amplified. It says, now faith is the assurance, the title deed or confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed. I love that. And the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. How do we get faith? So many in this room know this scripture out of Romans 10, verse 17. It says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of God. Whose voice are we hearing? Whose voice is speaking to us the word of God, the words that come from this kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy? It's his spirit, his spirit, his holy spirit, his presence. That's why we've chosen to make this a presence-driven house. His direction is better than any church plan we could come up with. Amen. John 16 says, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes and he will guide you into all the truth. Say all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Go with me this morning to Mark chapter 11. We'll camp here for a moment this morning. Mark chapter 11, we'll start at verse 12. I got my Bible here this morning because Charles said that was important a few weeks ago. <laughs> but it is highlighted. Mark 11, verse 12 says, On the following day they came from Bethany, and he, Jesus, was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf He went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Come on, look at somebody say, they heard it. Skip down to verse 20. It says, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answers them with this massive statement, have faith in God. Iexidi pistein theo, that's the Greek translation, have faith in God, but it's better translated in the Greek, have the faith of God. What a shift in our thinking. Have the faith of God of God, have God's faith, have divine faith, a faith that doesn't originate with me, but originates with him. The gift of faith that comes to us, that's his. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying those who have real faith have God's faith, have my faith. Therefore, it's not the quantity of our faith that matters. It's the quality of our faith. God's faithfulness is eternal. His love is eternal. His ability to perform every promise is eternal. So even the smallest amount of faith carries with it that same eternity. God's faith. That's why sometimes this faith, this amount of faith is enough. Go with me to Luke 17, verses five through six. The apostles said to the Lord, Jesus, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. A mustard seed of God's faith counts. Let me explain this in a couple stories. Melissa Helzer, anybody know who she is? Her and her husband wrote, No Longer Slaves. They wrote, raise a hallelujah like, they just write the best songs. I don't know how it works, but they write the best songs. That's why we sing them. You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Sing somebody else's song, you know? And uh, they wrote this song, Raise a Hallelujah. And she wrote this song. She shared this a couple months ago that she wrote this song out of a season when she was experiencing so much pain from this chronic illness that she s- suffers from. She's, she's been public about this, so I'm not saying anything that is new. So they wrote this song, and they've been getting report after report of testimonies from people who have been singing this song all over the world. In their backyard, they live in North Carolina at the Outer Banks. They got this story from this family who loves this song. They sing it all the time. And there's this three-year-old in this family that has it memorized and sings it all the time. And this family's at the beach at the outer banks, and they're sitting on the beach one day, and This family next to them is swimming, and this boy of this other family goes out into the ocean. He can't get back to the beach, and he drowns. And they drag his lifeless body to the beach. There's no pulse. There's no heartbeat. There's nothing. Everyone's freaking out, lifeguards. They can't resuscitate him, all this stuff. And this little three-year-old girl from this family who loves this song comes up and leans over the body and starts singing, I'm going to sing. In the middle of the storm, louder and louder, all of a sudden, this boy's pulse comes back. All of a sudden, his heart starts to beat. All of a sudden, he takes another breath and stands up. It is completely healed. Just a little bit of faith. Childlike faith. Who wants more of that kind of faith, childlike faith in this room this morning? It's so powerful. On a more personal note, last week, Randy's sermon was amazing, and he kept referencing in both service these values of AA and Alcoholics Anonymous and... uh, He was getting all those references, just being honest for me. Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, and this is not a promotion or an advertisement for AA. Everybody has their own journey and God has a plan that's different for everybody. But for me, this was a part of his plan for me. That morning, I got on my knees and cried out honestly, that prayer I mentioned earlier, God help. I was my life was like broken. I didn't know where to go, what to do. I didn't realize how big of a problem I really had. And he answered that prayer with AA and <clears throat> this isn't about me. I want to make this about him and his restorative power. But I remember calling this dude. I remember him saying this weird thing. Cause I was cold calling everybody. I was like, I need help. And this guy said something to me. He said, he said, look, man, don't drink today. Put the baseball bat down and call me tomorrow. Click. And he just hung up the phone. And I was like, who the heck is this dude? Anyways, I did that for a couple days and finally we met at his house and I was blown away. I shared my whole story with him and he said, that was me too. I couldn't believe it because this guy is like, looked like he never, ever had a problem. He's handsome. He's successful. Loves Jesus. And I remember a couple days after that, he's like, hey man, there's a meeting tomorrow morning. I think you should go. And I was like, like an AA meeting, bro. And he's like, yeah. I was like, like in the movies, like we're going to hug each other and sing Kumbaya and share our feelings. And like, (laughs) he's like, yeah, something like that. I was like, I'm not going to that. And he said, look, man, it's the whole deal or no deal. I'll go with you. And um, sorry, I walked into this old church. It did not look like this one. But the same presence of God was there. I walked in and introduced myself to all these guys who I thought, There's no way these guys were like me. They look way too clean. And then I heard some of their stories. and I was like, I'm in the right place. And and, um, I remember introducing myself for the first time. And I didn't know that this is a part of something they do. And the place erupted in praise and applause and welcomed me. It wasn't hype. It was like authenticity. Like John was singing. He's not done with you yet and I remember it's like the first time I felt heaven in this hell that I created in so long and I thought to myself well I'm not totally sold on this deal but God if there's more moments like this I'll give this AA thing a shot and I'm thankful I did and I remember first 30 days of that was like the worst 30 days of my life like it was terrible like didn't want to live. Like, I was like, I can't do this. And I remember around 30 days, this dude named Augie, God bless Augie. He came to me and he said this powerful thing to me. He said, David, do you believe? I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, do you believe that God can set you free of this thing, that he's going to do it? He's going to set you free. He's going to restore you. And I said, No, I don't. I don't believe that. Like, I was white knuckling this thing, trying to just make it another day. I thought I'd just be miserable for the rest of my life, honestly. Like, I was like, put your seatbelt on, let's just do this, and then I'll just die in misery. (laughs) I had no faith. And he said this profound thing to me He said, Do you believe that I believe? And I said, Yeah, I believe that. Because he was all excited. And I also heard his story, and I thought to myself, man, if God can change him, maybe he can change me. So I said, yeah, I believe that. He said, good. Put your faith in my faith. Let's let your faith start there. He said, David, have my faith. And I remember going home that day, and I just felt like God said, David, have my faith. My faith, we sang about that today. Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? And in that shifting, I stand before you today. God has restored me, set me free. He's delivered me more than any way I could have imagined or thought. And he's still doing it. And he wants to do it in you, no matter what you're facing, no matter your circumstance, your situation being set free is a miracle it's a miracle it was like i didn't have a heart and god gave me one talk about deaf ears opening this was as creatively miraculous as that i'm telling you remember this peace just coming and coming and coming it didn't it wasn't anything i could conjure up or like a a plus b equals c plan it was him it was him. God's restoring even our family, my marriage, like really, like really. One of the results of that restoration is that we're having another baby. And, <laughs> and, um, and many of you know that whole story, like the doctors for so long said, we're not going to have kids. And God healed us. And now my fanciest problem is like trying to find a place for all these kids to sleep in this little house. And it's like, man, I love fancy problems now. But this pregnancy with the baby that's in Johanna's womb now, it it was really rough, like really rough. And I felt like we were contending for something. You know, like when God gives you a promise and he starts working in your life, sometimes there's pushback. Satan hates us comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and, um, and I don't think it was trauma from the past of trying to get pregnant, I think it was like we were really contending for this thing, so we found out we were pregnant around Easter, and two times, or three times, my wife was in so much pain that she fell to her knees, and she couldn't get back up, and she really felt not like traumatically, it reminded of her of the same pain she had when we had a miscarriage, in her home at like 18 weeks before even Harper was born. And she kept getting this like dream in the night of her laid up in the hospital having a miscarriage. And um, so it felt like we were contending. And so we were praying and praying. And and, uh, I remember God giving me a name for this boy before we even knew it was a boy, that his name would be John. We name him after dad. We nickname him Jack. My kids call Dad Grand Jack, and so this would be Little Jack. <laughs> and um, and I remember reading the Bible one day, and this verse stood out at me in John chapter one, where they come to John the Baptist and they ask him, "Who are you?" They ask him all these questions, and what does John the Baptist say? He said, "I'm the voice. I'm the voice." So I held on to that scripture, and I kept praying for the voice. In johanna's womb and we kept it a seeker and it was one of those times like in marriage you need each other in different times like my wife she was we were i don't know if she had much faith but it was one of the few times i felt like maybe i have a little bit more faith than her god's faith and so i was praying every day for the voice and no one knew what we were going through and i called a friend of mine his name's steve and he's just one of these guys i call and He's one of those guys like, you got to have someone you can call and just spill your guts. You know what I mean? Tell them where you're really at. And so I'm on my way in to church to lead worship for the Good Friday service. And I just call him and I tell him what's going on. Hey, man, like we got, we're pregnant, but Joe thinks we're going to lose the baby. And I don't know what's going on. We feel like we're contending. And he said, are you driving right now? And I said, yeah. He's like, let's pray. So he starts praying, knows no details. He starts praying. And all of a sudden he stops praying and he says, man, I don't, I don't know why, but I just, keep feeling and hearing the Holy Spirit say, there's a voice in Johanna's womb. And he's going to be like John the Baptist. He's going to be born of spirit. And he's going to be light for a generation. I was like, okay. I got faith now. And it was like, it wasn't any faith that I could build up in myself. It came as a gift. It was God's faith. So I was okay. And then I was looking for a middle name, and I know we pick names in our family like really early on, and it's just how God speaks to us. And so I was looking for a middle name, and where else does the Bible talk about the voice? It's in John chapter 10, where he writes, I'm the good shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice. And I'm the gatekeeper, and all this stuff. And so I'm like, Jack Shepherd Leech, that's gotta be his name. But um, it kind of felt like, God, did that come from me, or did that come from you? And so. A couple of days later, I'm in the front row during first service, and Tiff and John are leading worship, and I'm just worshiping, and Sue Roby turns around, like, in a trance, as she sometimes does. She knows nothing, like, absolutely. She goes, that boy in Johanna's room, he's going to be a shepherd, and he's going to be a gatekeeper for a generation. I'm like, okay, that's awesome, you know. Man, the gift of faith. the gift of faith. Go with me to Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. I love this passage of scripture. It says, When he got into the boat, the disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, for we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you, of little faith? That O you of little faith, he's addressing their uncertainty and their doubt. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? They still didn't know him yet. Too well. I love this passage of scripture because the disciples who have like no faith, but maybe just enough sense to go wake up the one who's been doing all these miracles, maybe they had faith in Jesus, but they didn't yet have his faith. Even in their lack of God's faith, Jesus still does the miracle and demonstrates for them his faithfulness. And what does Jesus say to them? Why are you afraid? What kept them from having his faith? Fear. The greatest competitor of our faith is fear. A great acronym for fear is false evidence appearing real. Doesn't that sound like the opposite of Hebrews 11? I don't know about you, but when I'm afraid, I tend to lose trust in anybody else but myself (laughs) pretty quickly. I start to shrink back. I start believing in things that give me an excuse not to believe. Is it just me or does anybody else do that? I start looking through the eyes of fear, my own scope, my own projections of what I think might happen. Self-reliance starts to kick in. Self-confidence starts to kick in. A lot of self starts to kick in. Selfishness. I had a friend tell me once that selfishness is driven by a hundred forms of fear. So much of our fear pertains to our egos, our pride, fear of not getting what we want or losing something we think we have. Often subconsciously find myself asking God, like, God, if I trust you, what's going to happen to me? Are you going to take care of me? do I really want Jesus to take the wheel or do I make him a passenger and I'm driving the car, you know? Sometimes when I'm really afraid, it's like I'm duct taping Jesus and throwing him in the trunk, locking the door and I'm driving. I'm like, when I need you, I'll let you out. (laughs) Anybody else? Come on. But his perfect love casts out all fear. His faith comes to us in love because he is love. Galatians 2.20, in the message, I love this passage of scripture. It addresses this issue, and it's very encouraging. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego or my fear is no longer sensual. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I am no longer driven to impress God because Christ lives in me. The life you see me now living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God. And he talks about Jesus' faithfulness. Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me, and I'm not going to go back on that. One more scripture, I promise. Are you guys okay? Mark chapter 9. Go with me to Mark chapter 9. Verse 20 says this, And they brought the boy to him, him being Jesus. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled, up, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has your son been a Baltimore Ravens fan? I had to. There you go, Brent. Let's go, Steelers. Come on. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it is often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw a crowd coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And the boy was healed. I believe, help my unbelief. I believe in the tension of our lives. If we're being honest, God loves when we're honest, we can be honest before Him. The tension of God, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe today God wants to gift us with a greater measure of His faith. What are you believing for today? What faith is coming to you through the voice? What is he saying to you today? Are you believing for a miracle? Are you believing to be set free of something? I have the faith of God for that. For a start, you could put your faith in mine To the story God's telling through our family. Are you believing for... A deeper encounter with this kingdom, this righteousness, peace, and joy that feels so foreign. It's not. <laughs> are you believing for somebody else's encounter? I love the other night when we had a prayer night, we wrote specific names down. Those names are being prayed for every single week in your homes and here in this house. What are you believing for today? I also felt led to encourage your faith and tell you that your faith, your faith matters. It matters to God. And it matters to others around you. It matters to the generations who are going to follow you. Praying about this message, I couldn't get this guy out of my mind. His name's Bo Latinsky. Forty-some years ago, Bo Lutenski, at 19 or 20 years old, had enough faith of God to go to this little, ugly Presbyterian church and share his testimony and share the gospel of Jesus, what Jesus has done in his life. And when he began to share, my Aunt Judy, Judy Leach, who is the first of the Leach clan, and we're a big clan, first person to get saved. She walks past the church one night and she's drunk and stoned out of her mind. But she was drawn to the worship that she heard before Bo started to share. So she sits down on the front step of this church and this guy, Bo Litinsky at 20 years old, starts sharing the testimony of God, the freedom that Jesus has brought him into and what God has done for him. And my Aunt Judy gets completely Sober in that moment and radically saved and gives her life to Jesus It was a radical conversion and because of Her faith Uncle Bri got saved dad got saved the whole family Got saved because of her faith your faith matters I Think of Jeff and Emily Mitchell who decided to have the faith of God and not the report of the doctors. They had one kid and then they got pregnant with another. Then the doctor said there's no baby and they had enough faith of God to go back for another checkup. And where there was no baby, there's a baby. Come on. It's a word for some people in this house this morning. I think about Linda Semke. My Sunday school teacher. Every time I walked into this building as a little kid. <laughs> told me how much God loved me. How much God has a purpose and a plan for my life. And it wasn't for me. It was for other people. Even at like six years old. and she didn't hold back. The Sunday school teachers of this house don't hold back. It's so powerful. I think of her faith. Your faith today matters what are you believing for today receive the gift of his faith